invite you to turn in your Bible tonight to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 25. Uh, Really, we ought to start to catch the context. We should start in chapter 1 because this is a letter that really does hold together, but we're not going to do that. Just to remind you that the author is writing to uh, early church Christians who are struggling. They are discouraged. They're Jewish uh, Christians. Uh, They've left and lost so much. Uh, in coming to Christ, they lost their family, lost their status, lost their, uh, their homes, some of them, their jobs, their careers, and, uh, and it's hard, it's very hard, and uh, they're, they're easily discouraged, and uh, they've become dull and a little cynical uh, because of uh, the difficulties of life, and the, the writer is, is fanning into flame uh, the, the wonders of what God has done for them in Jesus Christ, their, their high priest that's greater than any priest of the Old Testament who's accomplished something. And that's what we're going to be looking at in uh, chapter 10, the fact that Christ has definitively accomplished something, and that means that we can confidently draw near uh, to God. Let's give our attention. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning reading at verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have, have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them uh, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their minds and write them on on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there's forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Well, God in heaven, thank you that the Spirit speaks tonight through his word. And I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to receive. Lord, I pray that your gospel would be sweet as honey tonight to our, to our soul, that we would taste and see the goodness of God, that we would eat and drink and be satisfied, knowing that in Jesus Christ we've been reconciled. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight as we come to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, it's a marvelous text uh, as we prepare to come to the Lord's table tonight because it, it just uh, lays before us two truths that we're going to unpack tonight. Uh, the truth of the once-for-all definitive work of Christ and, and then the benefit of that, the freedom and ability that we have to draw near uh, to God. If, um, if, I were to, uh, if someone were to ask, what is the Hebrews about? What's the letter of Hebrews about? Uh, the answer would be, it's about Jesus. Uh, it's about um, Jesus as a great priest who ministers a great covenant uh, for the people of God. But if you were going to ask, what is it for? What's the letter for? Uh, the answer to that would be, well, it's for the deep joy and confidence and assurance of God's people. Uh, one of the things that, um, that uh, as I talk with people about their Christian life, one of the things that comes up over and over is people struggle to uh, have a deep sense of the love of God for them. People struggle to have a, a deep sense of being clean, cleansed from their sin. A, a, a deep sense of being right before God. We don't feel right before God most of the time. We feel flawed before God. We feel maybe like a failure before God. Uh, there's, there's not a sense of of, of accomplishment uh, when we think of our relationship with God. And, and, uh, and what that does is it just becomes sort of a, um, a, a white noise that blocks out the clarion call of the gospel, the good news of the gospel. It becomes a cloud that sort of hangs over your life as you try to serve the Lord and try to do the right thing and try to love people and try to worship and yet uh, being dragged down by the sense that you're just... You're not meeting the standard. I was, I've been reading, just started reading a, a little book on prayer by Michael Reeves, uh, who will be preaching here actually in, uh, in May, and um, looking forward to having you uh, hear him. But he has this wonderful little book on prayer. You can, on Kindle, it's like $2.99. Uh, highly recommend it. But he talks about how, do you feel like you're a failure at prayer? Everybody feels like they're a failure at prayer. <laughs> Um, it is the it, it is a it, it sort of goes along with being a Christian that we sense that uh, we're not very good at this and and he says in a sense take courage uh, we're all not good at this but uh, we all can grow in this and uh, God has given us uh, reasons to boldly draw near that's what we have here in Hebrews chapter ten it's for our confidence it's for our assurance so that we take hold and draw near uh, to God. Well, um, the two things that we're going to draw out tonight is um, what Christ has done and then what Christians do. What Christ has done and then what we can do because of what Christ has done. 
Uh, I hope you noticed as we were reading the text, all the, um, the once for all language that, that uh, the writer has packed in here. I mean, over and over in, in a variety of different ways, he's pounding home this, this one point that the atoning work of Jesus Christ uh, is accomplished definitively, objectively, completely, sufficiently, once for all, all time, forever, never needing to be redone, replenished. Uh, uh, it is, it's, it's finished. It's done. He started that theme already in, in chapter 9, 9 verse 12. You can see it there, 926. He appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 10 verse 5, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 10 12, Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. 10 14, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He's pounding on this point. He can't do enough to emphasize the fact that something definitive and decisive has happened in the death of Christ. Something that had never happened before in all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And there were countless sacrifices in the Old Testament. Blood ran as people are daily bringing their, uh, their sacrifices to the temple to be offered up. And, and special feast days and holy days, there would be uh, countless sacrifices offered. And yet they never accomplished what we need to have accomplished. That's the lesson of verse one. Um, it can never, the law and all the sacrifices continually offered every year, it can never make perfect those who draw near. It's impossible, verse four, for the blood of bulls and goats uh, to take away sins. And so all, this, all these sacrifices are, are taking place, but, but they never actually accomplish what we, what we need done. But see, his, his whole point is, Jesus has. He, he has made perfect those who draw near. Something's happened that actually perfects the conscience of a sinner. Something's happened that actually does remove sin and guilt and robes sinners in righteousness. Something has happened that, that, that will, it's a one time, once for all, never to be done again. And we get to live, you see, in the reality of, of that something. Jesus did not die on a cross to make it possible for, um, for, for you to be saved or possible for you to be forgiven. Right? The, the Bible says, the writer here says, as he's writing to the early church, Jesus died to actually accomplish the work. So 9 verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, thus securing an eternal redemption. 926, he appeared once for all to put away sin. 1010, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 1014, by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And every phrase in that, in, that, in that verse is just packed with gospel truth. By a single offering, the offering of his body, the once for all offering, the, the, the writer just wants you to see 
that the, that the, the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ is the, the definitive sacrifice in the history of mankind that actually accomplishes the redemption of sinners. This is one of the reasons that the reformers uh, like Luther and Calvin objected so strongly to the Roman Catholic Mass. We've become quite comfortable with the Mass in, in, in our day. I know that uh, people think, it's, well, it's just sort of a, a little, maybe a wrinkle on uh, the Lord's Supper. Well, no, it's, it's, a, it's a profoundly different thing. Uh, if, you, if you read the Roman Catholic Catechism and, and um, their, their Confession of Faith, that they, they believe that the Mass you see is is an um, ongoing, continual, unbloody representation of the death of Christ, which is propitiary. That's their language. In other words, the sacrament itself is a propitiary. The sacrament affects the turning away of the wrath of God. And you do it over and over and over Again, you see, because you sin, and therefore you're, you're liable to the, the wrath of God. And so you need to get back to confession, get back to your priest, and do penance, and then get back to Mass. So that the, the sacrament, as you participate in the sacrament, the unbloody re- representation of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, you can have comfort in the sacrament as the sacrament accomplishes the turning away of the wrath of God. Well... Luther and Calvin said, well, that's, that's, that's a different gospel, you see. You think about just practically what that means for the conscience of the, of, the, of the believer. It means that you actually are constantly in danger of being under the wrath of God, the judicial wrath of God, particularly if you commit a mortal sin. But you're under danger of the wrath of God, which is why, Cal- why Luther is always going to his priest to confess his sins, because every time he sins, he senses, God must be upset with me. There are a lot of Reformed Christians who live like Catholics, who live under the, a sense of a God being continually disappointed, God being t- continually angry, and then trying in some way to do penance, trying to do better. Well, you see, you see how similar that is to the Old Testament system of sacrifices, where people would go to the temple, and they would bring their sacrifice, and the sacrifice would be offered, but it had, they'd do it over and over and over and over, precisely, you see, because the sacrifice never actually, once for all, deals with the sin. So Calvin says, the papists, the Roman Catholics, in order to make the death of Christ efficacious, require daily applications by means of a sacrifice, the mass, so that calling themselves, so that they calling themselves Christians differ nothing from the Jews except in the external symbol. You see, that's a a poor gospel in comparison to the gospel of Hebrews. The whole point of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus has accomplished redemption. He's dealt with sin once for all. You don't need to go to a Catholic priest in order to have your sins forgiven. You don't need to go do penance in order to, um, to, to deal with the problem of your guilt. You don't have to do mass in order to turn away the wrath of God over and over and over and over. There's a better priest, you see, who's actually accomplished your forgiveness once for all. There's a better sacrifice which has dealt with the wrath of God once for all. That's the point he's making. It's, it's done. 
by a single offering. He just, he just wants us to, to get that cemented in our conscience and in our mind, this once-for-all single offering. And because of this reality, what Jesus did, he has perfected. Greek tense is a perfect, which means past action, accomplished action, with ongoing present force. He has perfected for all time. For, for all time. Let those words just rattle your cage a bit. That, that means if you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you confess your sin and, and receive by faith the sacrifice of Christ to deal with your sin for all time, that blood of Jesus Christ has perfected you. It, it's the same word for uh, to complete or finish. In, in other words, there's, there's, the reality of your redemption is a completed reality. It's going to be worked out as, as uh, the Lord uh, sanctifies you, right? Those who are being sanctified. The Lord's going to work out the finished, completed reality of his redemption in your life as he makes you ready for heaven, as he sanctifies you. But what has happened in the death of Christ, he has perfected, completed, finished for all time. The blood never loses its power. The verdict is never reversed. There is not any condemnation, not now, not tomorrow, not at the end of your life, not a not, uh, hundred years from now or whenever Christ returns, not when eternity has run on for a thousand, thousand years. There's no condemnation ever. It's for all time. And that reality is now being worked out as Jesus continues uh, to, to sanctify. It's present. He's working in us the reality of what he's accomplished for us. I mean, the, the gospel is just so magnificent. That, that one beautiful sacrifice of Jesus Christ has, has procured your justification, which is the verdict, verdict of God in your life, that you're righteous, and your sanctification, which is the work of God, making you into the likeness of Christ. So he has overcome your guilt through his great high priest, and he overcomes the remaining effects of sin, the power of sin, as his Holy Spirit goes to work. I love how Newton says it, right? He breaks the power of canceled sin. He breaks the power of canceled sin. It's already been canceled. It's already been dealt with. The only, the only uh, sin that is in your life, the only sin that is, is uh, the only self that's being sanctified is, is, is self that's already been forgiven and saved. Now, now, it's all nice, happy talk. And you've heard it a hundred times. How can you have, you have, how can you have absolute confidence in it's true? Because there's, a, there's some cynicism and it pops up when we sin. That, that, that doesn't embrace it as gloriously true. That either we think we have got to sort of make things right or we just shrug our shoulders and just go on our way. Whatever it is you see that keeps you from running to this gospel, running to this cross when you, when you sin, uh, it, it, the Bible would say that that's unbelief. That's, that's, there's a dullness of hearing here. We have to be utterly, absolutely convinced it's, it's really true, and the, and, and the conviction is this is a covenant. So Hebrews 10, 15. 
And 60, the Holy Spirit bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. This is a a covenant. We said this morning, this is a covenant meal. It's not just a ceremony of remembrance. This is a covenant where we express and experience the reality of the covenant that God has made with us in Christ. And this is the covenant. I will write the law in their hearts and minds and I will remember their sins no more. They're gone. Your sins are gone. The sins you're most ashamed of. The sins that have most stained you. The sins that trip you up over and over and over, right? Jesus wants you to know. In fact, every person of the Trinity is involved in this assuring work. Christ is seated at the right hand of God, which means that he's accomplished the work. The sacrifice has been accepted. The, 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 the Spirit is speaking. Notice the, 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 how the writer puts it here. He says, the, the Holy Spirit bears witness. Present tense, the Holy Spirit is talking. He didn't just say something a long time ago. The Holy Spirit is talking to you tonight in his word. The Spirit is is communicating this. That this is the covenant that God has made. And and just as Jacob and Laban came together and ate a meal to, to confirm and seal and celebrate the reality, the friendship that had been gained in the covenant, well, that's what we do at the table tonight. We come to this covenant meal and we embrace the truths of the covenant and then doing that you see um, well what will believers do as we are convinced of what Christ has actually done and and, and, and brothers and sisters let me just just say pray pray for that conviction don't don't settle for the fog uh, for the, the unbelief, for the fear. Are you, are you afraid to stand before God? Are you afraid to die? Are you, are you afraid that, that if, if you would die actually tonight, could you say it is well with my soul? And if not, don't settle for that. This, this is a gospel for people who sinned and who struggled and who, who failed and who need assurance. And, and this gospel provides it, you see. There's every reason for you to be able to say, I have no fear. I could die now. And knowing all the sins that I've committed and all the sin that remains, but I could die Right now, and I could enter into the presence of the thrice holy God and stand before that great white throne, and it will be well with my soul because I have a covenant that God has made with me in Jesus Christ on the basis of his once for all sacrifice. That I will remember their sins no more, and I take that covenant, you see, to the throne of of judgment. And find it to be a throne of grace. Because it's actually happened. It's actually true. And so then what will we do? Well, we will draw near. 
in verses 19 and following, there are two reminders of what we have and then three invitations of what we can do. I will quickly go through this. Two reminders of what we have. Notice he says, therefore, brothers, since we have, verse 19, and since we have, verse 21, what do we have? Well, 19, we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we have. And you might say, well, no, that's exactly what I struggle with. I don't have confidence. And the writer says, no, you don't understand. You do have confidence. What more can he say than to you he has said? What more could he do than what he has done? How could the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus Christ that washes away all sin for all time, how could that not be sufficient for your confidence? We simply need to take it in faith. There, the new and living way has been opened for you by the blood of, of Jesus Christ, by the body of Jesus Christ. The curtain really has been ripped in two, and, and sinners are now invited into the presence of God. We simply need to lay hold of it. In faith to say, okay, Lord, I believe. I believe it's for me. I believe it's true. I believe it's for my sin. I take this Jesus to be my righteousness. That's faith. Ephesians 3, 12, Paul says of Christ Jesus, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Through our faith in him. We have great confidence because we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 21. We have a great priest, the greatest priest, and he rules over the house of God, and we approach God in his name, and and that's then what we should do. There's three let us then. Let us draw near, verses 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. That's what we do when we, when we pray. We draw near to God. That's what we do when we come to the table. We draw near to God. This is why Jesus died. Peter speaks of it in 1 Peter 3.18. Christ died for sins once for all. The just for the unjust. Why? In order that he might bring us to God. That's why we, we draw near. It's because it's, it's what Christ died to give to us, to be reconciled with God so that we could go to him in prayer and say, Abba, Father. And we can come to the table and believe all that Jesus has accomplished for us. And this is how we draw near, with full assurance of faith. We talked about that. Not hoping, not wishing, not fearing. We come completely humbled because we have nothing to bring but our need and our sin, and yet we come thoroughly confident as we plead the sacrifice of Christ. As we come in faith, you see, we have, we have reason again because our faith rests on the work of Jesus Christ and the promises of God the Father and the witness of the Holy Spirit. We have every reason to come with a full assurance. Full assurance, think of that. No fear of condemnation, no fear of death, no fear of, of, of anything that the Lord might bring to us, as, as hard as it might be. Full assurance. Because of this wonderful sacrifice. And with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Notice again, a completed action. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice would be offered, would be offered on the Day of Atonement. And the priest would take the blood in the bowl and he'd put the hyssop branch in the bowl and he'd sprinkle the blood on the people. Showing the fact that blood 
takes away guilt. Blood atones. Well, that, that work has been done. And, 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 and the writer says, Jesus Christ has sprinkled that blood on you. Your heart has been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And your body has been washed with pure waters. You were baptized with the waters of the covenant. So it's, 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 it's accomplished. Piper writes, the blood of Christ so completely covers our sin and removes our guilt that the conscience can rest at peace. Does your conscience have peace? Doesn't it condemn you? It condemns me. Failing to love, failing to pray as I should, failing to, 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 to obey and, and to just have a heart for God and a heart for people and, and the pride and the impatience and the envy and the lust and the greed, the coveting. Does your conscience condemn you for any of these things? Maybe I'm the only one. Of course it does. But you see, we have something here to, 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 to say to our conscience. Uh, my heart's been sprinkled clean. There's, there's no remaining guilt truly there. Sure, there's failure. I know I sin. I grieve my sin. I hate my sin. But I have a Savior. I have a Savior who shed his blood for me and who bore my sin and he, who, who carried it away and covers my transgression and has rode me in righteousness. So, so conscience, be still, be silent, be at peace. I have a Savior who's given his life in my place. Let us then draw near. Let us hold fast, secondly, the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because he who promises faithful. The covenant isn't going to fail. This is what we do when we come to the table. We confess our hope. We hold fast to our confession. We hold fast to our confidence without wavering. We come to that table and we hold that little piece of bread and we say, I believe that the body of Jesus Christ was actually broken for me and I believe that the blood of Jesus Christ really was shed for me and I believe that it accomplished everything Scripture says it accomplishes. And I believe that this little table and this little bread and wine is truly a foretaste of the banquet feast of heaven. And I believe that my Lord and Savior meets me here to assure me of all these things, his love and grace for me. We hold fast to that when we come to the table. And then finally, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We have a tendency to want to go our own way and do our sort of, do it alone. And the writer says, no, don't, don't let that be your habit. But let's stir one another up to love and good works. This gospel is true. It's real. Let's encourage one another. And there you see you have the vertical and the horizontal. Right, right there immediately, just as we were talking this morning. This brings us full circle to the, this morning's message. Because this table is not only where we look and see what Christ has done for us. This table is, is where we look around and we realize that we belong to a church. Brothers and sisters all around us in Christ. All of us who have sinned. And yet we join together. And we hold our confession together and we encourage one another and we do it together. And as, as you take that bread, an elder is going to pass it to the first person in the row and then you're going, to, you're going to pass it down. And I just would encourage you as you pass that plate, the bread and the wine, would you just, just look into the eyes of your brother or sister? This is for you. 
the body of Jesus Christ. It's for you. Take it. And this, this wine is for you, sister. It's for you, brother. We encourage each other. We're not doing this alone. We encourage each other that the gospel is true. The price really has been paid. We have every reason for enthusiasm and assurance. And we say to each other as we come to the table, brother, sister, come, eat and drink with me. Remember and believe. Let's ask the Lord to bless us as we come to this table. God in heaven, Lord, I just pray that you'd bless us now as we, as we come and dine with our Lord. I thank you that he invites us to his table. I thank you, Lord, it's a covenant table where we experience and express the truths of the covenant of grace we have in Jesus Christ, where we, Lord, experience the forgiveness that we have because only those who are righteous can eat with God. Only those who are clean can be accepted into the holy of holies. And so, Lord, as we come in faith, we come not with anything in our hands, but with a robe of righteousness that Christ has given. And we come with full assurance then that our sins have been washed away. Father, shame does cling to us. But I thank you that we can rebuke shame with the sacrifice, the actual accomplished work of Christ. His very real body that was broken on that cross. His very real blood that was poured out. That actually accomplishes our redemption. And Lord, I pray that tonight we could taste the freedom of full assurance. That we could experience the truth and the wonder of what, it, what it's like to be forgiven what it's like to be cleansed, what it's like to be loved. And Father, that we get to do this not just individually, but with all of our brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that we would encourage each other tonight as we, as we take and eat, as we remember together and believe. Oh, God in heaven, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward.